BBXX podcast, Let's Get Intimate. I'm your host, Sasha Laurie, and we're here to challenge the way our culture has conditioned us to talk about sexuality, intimacy, and healthy relationships. To question everything, to embark on a journey of self-understanding, and to begin to rewire some of the backwards thinking that we've absorbed from the subconscious influences that have shaped us all. Our hope for you, and for myself, and for all of us here at BBXX, who are here with you on this journey every day, is that through a better understanding of our own identity, of who we are, and why we are that way, we can form deeper connections with other people and live healthier, more fulfilling relationships as a result. Join us as we change the conversation and the culture surrounding intimacy and relationships. And remember that better relationships equals a better life. Dr. Heath is a researcher, psychologist at the University of California, Berkeley, and co-chair of the American Psychological Association Division 44 Consensual Non-Monogamy Task Force. The task force was recently deployed by the American Psychological Association, and it is the first of its kind. Its purpose is to promote awareness and inclusivity about consensual, non-monogamy, and diverse expressions of intimate relationships, such as training clinicians in how to approach and treat patients from an informed perspective on a complicated theme. In the first episode of our two-part interview with Heath, we talk about terminology, understanding the nuances and important differences between different types of non-traditional relationships. We touch on jealousy and how much there is to be learned, regardless of what type of relationship you're in, from the important communication required to navigate such a complex emotion. We talk a lot about how much there is to be learned from all of the open communication required for non-traditionally structured relationships. And lastly, we discuss some of the expectations of monogamy. And so one of the biggest ways I think that non-monogamy confronts and, and teaches communication is specifically in the case of jealousy and how people kind of navigate that space because in consensual non-monogamous relationships jealousy is expected versus jealousy is expected not to exist in monogamous relationships but the difference is that um, those people the difference is that people in non-monogamous relationships have to actively work to navigate and be proactive in their communication to to kind of navigate that space um, and the possible consequences that it could too easily lead to. And so I'd love to hear about kind of what people in monogamous relationships could learn about jealousy in this context of non-monogamous relationships and what kind of other communication skills people might learn about that they could put into practice. Sure. Well, I think of jealousy as being maybe similar to anxiety. It's something we all have the capacity to experience. And similar to anxiety, the more that we avoid it, the more that our anxiety tends to grow. 
And if we want to address our anxiety or address our jealousy, that some of the most effective strategies for doing so are creating space to talk about it, of normalizing that it comes up or that it can happen. And so certainly the more space that a partnership has to talk about it, the better off that they tend to be. And so in terms of navigating it, creating structure for your relationship that's right-sized for you tends to be most helpful. And there's, as we talked about with the different types of relationships, that there can be different structures that work for um, different people. And it can also work for those relationship structures can evolve along the way as well. I think it's important to have periodic check-ins about the, um, the arrangements that you have, and those can be revisited along the way. What are kind of some, some practical examples of, of kind of jealousy in it from a proactive sense that you think people could employ regardless of their relationship structure? Yeah, I think uh, naming your authentic experience in the moment, or even I'm a fan of using um, language such as the story that I have in my mind, or I don't know if this is true or not, but this is what I'm experiencing. This is where my thoughts are going, and I'm wondering if we can check in about that. Um, it may not be true, but this is something that I'm experiencing. And so I think naming that, I also think that, or um, identifying the difference between envy and jealousy can sometimes help create space in those conversations. Envy is when I am experiencing um, a desire to have what somebody else has. Versus jealousy is when I don't want that other person to have it. I want that for myself. So by naming it as being envy, and many times when we are experiencing what we often label as jealousy, it's actually envy. It's just me saying, hey, sweetie, I want you to have that connection. I'm open to you feeling that way. That's a normal thought and feeling for you to have that connection or want to uh, affirm that part of you that's that's drawn to that other person. And I am needing some reassurance about um, the parts of me that want that too. The parts mm-hmm. of me that want a similar connection or want you to look at me in that way mm-hmm. too. I love that kind of clarifying the difference between envy and jealousy. And I think that also there are so many different nuances that play into this uh, because I think there are differences in in jealousy too, in terms of people having curiosities or engaging outside of their main partnership, whether it's sexually or emotionally. And again, even in polyamory, there are some people who have outside relationships that are purely sexual versus some people who actually don't even engage sexually with the people and it's a purely emotional relationship. So understanding those differences in terms of labeling Mm -hmm. these different relationship structures, but also in terms of recognizing where jealousy might be coming from. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Monogamy can, or when people are opening a relationship 
up, it can evoke additional jealousy. It's certainly, that, and that makes sense, or, or envy. Because monogamy can act as a construct or a stand-in for security in a relationship. And that may not necessarily be a bad thing if both people want that and are committed to that. You just don't have to, to think about this, whatever it is that, that's coming up for you, because you're, you're trusting that, hey, we just have a, a relationship agreement that that's, they're not going to do that. Now, like I said, people ironically end up having more jealousy or experiencing more jealousy in monogamous relationships. Um, but it is something that, that can protect against that. And so it's, it's only natural for people when they are starting to navigate those conversations, that if you're lifting that structure and you haven't been working those muscles, that you're understandably going to feel maybe weak in the knees. And it's, um, I think, well advised to go slow, to take your time. You're oftentimes, when you're opening relationships, you have one person that's more motivated or more interested in it than the other person. And that can be a really difficult thing to manage because for one, it might feel like that this is their identity. This is a part of who they are and they might even just be discovering it and feel very much alive and wanting to explore it. And the other partner might be thinking, whoa, hold on, what? You know, and so they may not be inclined in that same way and it's a really difficult, it can be a difficult position for both people to be in when they're trying to navigate being their most authentic self. And so... I guess if anybody listening is thinking of having this conversation or perhaps has tried to and it didn't go well, what are kind of some phrases mm-hmm. or, or kind of yeah. conversational right. yeah, how to cautious that. Mm-hmm. things that, yeah. that they can approach yeah. it with? Well, I would say it's important to first name that it's a myth that people opening a relationship are dissatisfied. They're certainly are going to be people who are dissatisfied in a relationship and wanting to open it to help oxygenate the relationship. But your partner may be wanting to open it for reasons other than being dissatisfied. That people can hold, they are mutually exclusive, that you can be very satisfied uh, in a relationship and still experience attraction to other people. And I think that that is one of the byproducts of of being in a society that stigmatizes non-monogamy so heavily is that the reaction from partners is so severe or can be so severe because of the potential loss in social capital from bringing up or fear of judgment that that causes people that let's say are inclined toward non-monogamy and let's say it is an orientation, if they are naturally inclined toward non-monogamy and would be more satisfied in that, that it creates this pressure point for them to try to be authentic and to try to navigate those relationships. So that's why I think, in part, it's healthy for our culture to create more space to talk about that so that it is safer to, even if I don't want to act on that, but that I can go to my partner and talk to them about that and how much easier would it be if there was we had this social model to relationships where non-monogamy or consensual non-monogamy was just considered one of multiple relationship or viable relationship structures. Um, so I think that one, contextualizing it and just naming how, given our environment, this is a really difficult 
conversation to have. And especially since we, we go into it just assuming monogamy and we enter into an agreement. Um, and so it's understandable that a partner is going to feel deceived or potentially frustrated or scared because we made an agreement about monogamy. It, it might have been implicit just because it's so mainstream and so handed to us at birth um, that, it, you know, understandably it's going to be difficult to navigate that conversation in terms of strategies. I don't, I'm not convinced there's a one size fits all model, but I think with uh, there being more and more depictions of non-monogamy in our popular media, one one potential strategy is um, watching a movie or a show or a series or an article um, that you've come across and just putting out feelers to see what your partner um, thinks about it and, and engaging their reaction. Um, again, I don't think that there's a one-size-fits-all, but that might be something of even just... Uh, kind of in your own way putting out feelers or seeing how your partner res responds and there certainly are resources um, out there there's a number of books that that talk about it i talk, spoke about uh, mating in captivity there's a number of books that talk about opening relationships but mating in captivity tends to be the one that um, even for people that are early on in that process I think introduces the topic in a digestible way that's not coming right out and saying, hey, I'm interested in an open relationship mm -hmm. because it frames it for how do we sustain long-term connection and sexual satisfaction in a relationship and it happens to touch on non-monogamy. And so I oftentimes am recommending that book as a starter book for um, navigating those conversations um, because it's, it seems a little bit maybe more Hello, hello, and welcome back to season two of the BBXX podcast, Let's Get Intimate. We've been counting the days leading up to this relaunch. It feels so good to be back, and we have some exciting announcements for you. Our podcast and book club will now be building off of one another. You told us you'd love to dive deeper into each theme, so that's what we're going to help you do. Every other week, we'll release a new podcast interview at the beginning of the week and a new book club edition at the end of the week on the same topic. The week in between the new releases, we'll send out a premium book club edition with even more content, thoughts and reflections, as well as the best insights from other BBXX community members themselves. Speaking of community, you said you wanted to know what other people's answers were to the reflection questions we send out in the book club. So, we've got you covered there as well. We just launched our BBXX Facebook group, BBXX Let's Get Intimate Insiders, where we'll be posting discussion questions and sharing exclusive content. The only catch is that for the premium book club and the Facebook group, you have to earn your way into them. A lot of you had asked us how you can help spread the word, so we've launched a referral program. For every person you get to sign up for the BBXX book club, you work your way up the rewards ladder and get awesome perks. For example, even if you just get one person to join, you get access to an ebook of our favorite podcasts, TED Talks, and documentaries. Get three people to join and you get the premium book club edition email every other week with the reflection questions. 
And if you get five people to join, well, then you get access to the Facebook group where you can read other people's answers to the reflection questions and join us firsthand in changing the culture and the conversation surrounding intimacy and relationships. During the month of October only, to celebrate our relaunch for every person you get to join, you'll also be entered to win an Airbnb gift card to help you sponsor a treat yourself solo trip or perhaps a romantic getaway with a BFF or a new adventure with a partner. And if you leave us a podcast review on iTunes, you get three bonus entries for the Airbnb gift card. Just be sure to email us to let us know you left a review so we can be sure to count it. Lastly, we'll also be launching an ambassador program soon. So contact us if you're interested in becoming a BBXX ambassador. That's all for the announcements for now. Thank you so much for listening. And be sure to share this info with your friends. You can also find the info for everything I just mentioned at bbxx.world lazy, which has all your go-to links. You mentioned the, at one point in there, kind of commitment, and it reminded me of another thing I read about um, in these clarifications that I'm going through here is the difference between exclusivity and commitment. In many cases, they go together, but you can obviously have exclusivity without commitment, and you can have committed commitment to one partner or multiple partners at the same time in a in a deep connection and in certain successful consensual non-monogamous relationships. Another thing you kind of mentioned is the lack of but also kind of how more media is coming up and the way that we've come to be shaped by uh, so many different cultural influences. So I was wondering kind of for you what you see as the biggest factors in this, whether it's, you know, culture in terms of media or politics or religion that kind of have have shaped this topic? Well, the first one that comes to mind is just the, the stigma around sexuality more broadly and um, the assumptions uh, in, in, in terms of um, the rightness or it being God's will. Um, so religion certainly plays a role in terms of shaping our perspectives about what relationship ideals are. Again, we have data that suggests that people in consensually non-monogamous relationships tend to be just as happy, just as satisfied, just as committed, so they last, uh, on average, just as long. Um, but but certainly uh, that, that has come out in our data in terms of um, the, the differences that, that we see um, in terms of what draws people or why people do or don't enter into um, or which relationship structure they enter into. Certainly religious values is um, um, going to influence that. Um, I also think that uh, that in light of that, there's going to be a tendency to hyper-sexualize consensual non-monogamy. And I think it's important that we're even highlighting narratives about asexual identified individuals that are polyamorous or identify as um, uh, polyamorous and that aren't 
sexual. And for them, it really truly is not about sex, but it's about love and connection. Um, and so I, I think that those narratives are important to highlight. And I think it's going to be a similar strategy that was used against the LGBTQIA movement in terms of um, spreading fears about sexuality or hypersexualizing it or making it about sex or deviant acts of mm -hmm. sex. Um, and I think another ground is going to be children and just demonstrating and, and continuing to look into research around what are the impacts that it's going to, to have on uh, children or the traditional family, if you will. Yeah, I love that clarification or kind of that note about it being often hypersexualized, which I, I think is definitely the case. And it's, again, though, a reminder that that's only in contrast to the so sternly traditional model that is enforced in some ways and reinforced through kind of the law practically with kind of rewards being provided to people who live in one house together or who are married, um, really shaping the history and the structure of relationships in a way that um, creates a much starker contrast in our heads than to what the actual reality behind their behaviors is. And you mentioned um, the law, and one of the 12 initiatives that we have with the um, APA Division 44 Consensual Non-Monogamy Task Force, and Division 44 is the Society of Sexual Orientation and Gender Diversity, so I think it's really important to note that we are housed within the LGBTQIA uh, division of the American Psychological Association. I think, also think it's important to name that they approved our task force by a 13 to zero vote. So it was unanimous. So it was clear that these leaders of the LGBTQIA um, uh, division were saying, hey, yep, this is overdue. This is uh, needed. They've been very intentional about going out of their way, about expressing their interest in what we're doing and supporting what we're doing. Um, so we've been just very thrilled by the, the support that we've received from them. Um, and one of the issues that we're taking on is addressing whether it should be considered a legal, legally protected status. And so we have a group of, I think there's close to nine or 10 psychologists and lawyers that are writing, I think, three papers now addressing different issues of uh, the law regarding discrimination and whether or not it should be a legally protected status. And I won't speak toward uh, their conclusions um, because they haven't written the papers yet, but it is something that is being taken on and is also being brought up um, in different city ordinances. Um, uh, and so we'll see where this goes, but I anticipate that it'll be something that becomes more and more in the spotlight as we move forward. So as we just touched on kind of how society shapes these sort of things, it reminds me of the work that you're doing with the task force. And so um, I'd love to kind of, for our listeners, if we could get just a higher level um, kind of description and understanding of what it is you guys are doing in that space and, and the purpose um, and implications behind it. Sure. 
So the task force is housed within Division 44 of the American Psychological Association, which is the LGBTQIA um, division or the Society for Sexual Orientation and Gender Diversity within the APA. We have four different areas that we are focusing on, generating additional or, or generating research and creating resources and advocating for the inclusion of consensual non-monogamy in research, education and training, clinical practice, and the public interest. Our projects really range. We have 12 different initiatives and 90 people working on these initiatives, and they range from creating a fact sheet about consensual non-monogamy to promoting research to um, creating a campaign to uh, integrate non-monogamy into LGBTQIA resources. And so it's about kind of generating a better understanding um, and therefore more resources and better care, for example, with um, the therapists for people who identify with CNM. Yep. It's advocating for it to be included in research. So even in including it on, let's say, demographic forms or um, uh, training uh, therapists on how to work with people who identify as consensual non-monogamous and advocating for issues such as being able to uh, find a therapist on a therapist directory. Uh, we're kind of touching on it all. Yeah. That's so interesting. I love kind of the cultural implications and the how all of that just goes back to kind of the way we've been conditioned to think, mm-hmm. which is exactly what we try and kind of unravel through these conversations and not necessarily questioning, you know, the structure of your own relationship, but taking the understanding of both sides and contextualizing um, your own thoughts and behaviors to, to lead kind of a more informed life and a more informed relationship that is kind of more of that refreshing authenticity that you spoke to in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's not there's not a prescripted one size fits all model that's going to fit the diversity of all of who we are. And so by having more space and more freedom to choose, I think we all serve to benefit from just knowing that there's other options mm-hmm. out there and there's other people out there like us that are inclined in similar ways and that we're not demonizing that desire or that curiosity. And I think how beautiful would it be if there's just more safety to talk about that within the construct of relationships, regardless of relationship structure. Summing that all up and really kind of synthesizing everything as as we close out the interview here, it's about learning from other people's stories, other people's experiences and preferences about our own and whether those reflect it or just solidify kind of our own differences from that. Mm-hmm. But it's about it's about understanding and kind of through this conversation about how CNM isn't for everybody. Again, you know, the other day I went and visited a friend who lives at in a cooperative living space kind of a shared house, shared food, shared everything. And I couldn't necessarily live there. And I know people who even more so than me 
could definitely never live there. You know, whether it's dietary preferences or just like basic needs or I'm a incredibly light sleeper and I would not survive. Um, they're just practical things and that's, that's not going to change. My disposition and my kind of willingness to engage in that is not going to change, but I can go there and kind of talk to people and learn more about the benefits and about how great it is for some other people, um, even though that might not change anything about myself. Um, so it's about knowing you know, whether or not this sort of thing is a fit for you. But again, taking the lessons that can be learned regardless of your relationship structure and how it all comes back to communication and communication to get us to a space of kind of self-awareness and that authenticity that helps us recognize where we need space in our relationships um, and kind of who we can go to to kind of um, create or fill that space and how it doesn't always have to be that one person. And it's about kind of understanding our own needs and expectations and, and managing them as well according to, to what's best for ourselves and for our relationships, regardless of structure. Yep. And I would say it is outside the interest of uh, the non or the consensual non-monogamy movement to try to promote this one size fits all model in the opposite direction, but really just embracing the beauty of diversity and naming the importance of how you feel most secure in living in a house by yourself and who would be to to judge someone for for preferring that over living in cooperative living and i think it's important to just really promote this message of inclusion and really valuing diversity in personal preference and just naming that they are all equally viable well thank you so much for joining us today and um, we're looking forward to hearing more about the progress of the task force. Thank you for having me. The BBXX podcast, Let's Get Intimate, is produced by Sasha Laurie in Berkeley, California. Dialogue, narrative, and content crafting by Amy Soper. Audio editing, good music vibes, and sound mixing, Daniel Herrera. You can learn more on our website or on our social media at bbxx.world. And if you believe in what we're doing, please do help spread the love by sharing this with someone you care about. Until next time. Oh, 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 oh